The nation mourns the passing of a civil rights icon. Megan the Stallion takes a hit, and Nick Cannon is wildin' out and wants his brand back. But the news isn't all bad, and in today's episode, I'll be bringing you a story about a local library that is meeting the needs of the city's homeless and helping bridge the digital divide during the city's lockdown. And I'll also, in today's Doing Good by Doing Good segment, I'm going to bring you the story of a gentleman in Atlanta who is doing his best to combat the nation's food desert by helping to water his spot in Atlanta. And he's doing it in one of the most nutritious, convenient, and delicious ways that I can think of. So grab your cup of joe or whatever the week is calling for. Settle in and stay tuned. It's going to be a doozy of an episode. She's smart, sassy, and a little, a little badassy. Straight from the hip with Courtney Jones. Tune in. Ow. Yeah, apparently. Can you, do you see this this week? Um, you know how I feel about it. And apparently, like, <laughs> since last week's uh, episode when I was talking about Megan the Stallion and just how exciting her life seems, well... Ow. It's gotten a little more exciting this week, and it looks like Megan the Stallion took a hit. Um, she actually got shot um, over, it looks like, uh, last Sunday. Apparently, she was leaving a party in the Hollywood Hills um, early in the morning. So there's been a little twist to this story, because I know that she was talking about how she had been shot. Um, they were pulled over her and uh, um, the uh, rapper Tory Lane. They were actually pulled over together. He was um, arrested, I guess, for a concealed weapon charge. He actually had um, a gun in the car. So there's more of a twist to the story now. It appears that Megan the Stallion might have actually been shot by Tory Lanez. Yes. So apparently, uh, Megan and a friend of hers, a uh, Kelsey Nicole, uh, they left the party in the Hollywood Hills, and they uh, maybe Tori was like, "Hey, you chicks want a ride? Uber's gonna take a while." I don't know what happened, but somehow they all ended up in the car together, and they left this party. And apparently, there was some kind of an argument that started inside of their chauffeur-driven SUV. And at some point, Megan and her friend Kelsey wanted to get out of the vehicle. They're like, enough of you, Tori. We've had enough. We want out. So whatever happened in the ensuing, um, from what we can understand, they're saying like maybe the, he was just waving the gun around because the reports say that it, the gun was shot into the air. I don't know what kind of ricocheting the bullet was doing, but apparently Megan was shot in both feet. So I don't know how long, how that's going to affect the twerking, but um, there isn't a video because the police are saying in this particular instance that they're not getting cooperation from witnesses. So they're still trying to piece together what happened. But according to TMZ, because you know TMZ gets all the business. According to TMZ, um, she actually was like, um, according to witnesses who are not cooperating, there was an argument that um, ensued inside the vehicle. He was kind of shooting up in the air. She got hit with a couple of the bullets. So you, there is a video that's actually available where you can see as she's getting out of the car, the, the police from the very beginning um, saw her as the victim in this situation. 
And as she was getting out of the car, you can very um, obviously see that her feet are bleeding. And then she's also put a statement up on Instagram, like just saying, like, maybe people don't realize just how traumatized that she actually is and how traumatizing the entire experience has been. So uh, I always say, like, these kids, it's just entertainment. But a lot of times they take it from the... Uh, it reminds me of like back in the 90s when they went from banging on wax to banging in the streets. So it's like, so keep it on, keep it on wax, you guys. Keep it in the studio. But um, we're sending out well wishes and condolences to Megan the Stallion. Hopefully she'll be back uh, in full uh, form shortly and be back twerking again because I am still practicing. It's like that that's my new mantra for the summer. What would Megan do? So we just hope that at this point Megan will get better and get better fast and uh we're sending out our condolences. Every time I turn on the radio. And do you see this mess here? And I'll tell you, since the the last episode when I uh, talked about this story, there's been even more mess. But August Asina, who apparently, like myself, cringed when he heard uh, Jada Pinkett Smith refer to their um, relationship as an entanglement, uh, August apparently felt a wee bit sensitive about this um, reference to what he considered a great love affair. And so because we are in instant karma and people can put out a song in one day, August um, kind of hit back on Saturday. He released a song um, actually called, I guess it, the song is called Entanglement, but it's a song that he did with Rick Ross where he literally sings a... Um, a line where he says the definition of entanglement is when you tangle in the sheets. Lord, this is why, one, this is why I cringe when uh, Jada said that uh, at the Red Table Talk with Will, because I felt like this young man would kind of take it in that way and would kind of snap back in a way like this. Because again, this is why I say, even in cougar status, you still got to check the age and you got to avoid certain stuff. These young kids, they talk a good game. I'm a grown ass man. They talk all that good. But when it comes to the emotional level, they're not at the same level as a grown woman. And so this little, this young man, no matter what she said, was going to take it in an offense if she didn't come out saying, oh, yes, it was the best time of my life. And that's not what she's going to say to her husband at the red table. So just I just felt like it would go crazy. So now this young man is putting all the business, not just in the streets, but in our earbuds too. And it's like, so well, it's interesting to see how this is going to play out because now this young man is not only putting Jada on blast, but he's also um, kind of embarrassing the so-called friends that he had who introduced them, uh, him to their mother. So awkward. So I'm just interested to see how this turns out. I myself have not listened to the song. Probably will not be tuning in. But um, just interesting to see because, I, like I said, on the uh, Red Table Talk, Jada did say specifically to Will, um, I had an entanglement with August. And I, I remarked then at the time how Will caught it. And tossed it right back to her like what we're not going to do today is completely absolve responsibility. So Will did toss it back to her and was like entanglement. It's like come on now be grown and accept your uh, your responsibility in this. So he did catch it there at the Red Table Talk. 
But that's a discussion for a couple within the privacy of their relationship. So it's always when you bring a third party into it like that, there's always going to be some messiness. Especially when the third party knows they're the third party, they're usually the loudest with the messiness. Um, I just, heart goes out to the whole entire messiness and um, to Will uh, Smith and to Jada Pickett Smith. So we'll see how that uh, turns around. And I don't know. Um, it's like, like I said, I haven't heard the song, but Alcina has recently released a new album. It's called The Product 3, The State of Emergency. So you can check it out if you want to hear it. And also um, if you want to hear the new song. If you listen to it, let me know what you think. Peace. So in other news this week, uh, Nick Cannon um, parted ways with Viacom, his uh, production company, for like years this week around the controversy of him saying some comments that apparently were considered uh, anti-Semitic. And um, so it, this actually surprised me, not necessarily because we know it's been building like all of this summer. This is the summer where people are standing up and saying no more. I'm not going to be treated like a second-class citizen. No, I'm not going to take less. I am going to be respected 100% and fully. So everyone is asserting their independence. Everyone is stepping into their personal power. Like people are saying, we've had enough. So like everybody's up in arms this summer. Everyone is feeling that need for freedom. And I think that that's very interesting. Like in this, uh, this, the U.S.'s birthday was this month. And so we're really focused on freedom. And with Nick Cannon and making these uh, comments, he made the decision to part ways with Viacom. Um, as like I said, he's that's has been his production company for years. They not only produce uh, Wild and Out, but they have also he's been they've been along his journey like since HBO. And I remember we watched uh, Nick Cannon when my children were little. Like he's a staple here, and this is somebody that you would consider uh, quite powerful uh, when it comes to Hollywood and the Hollywood bubble. So it was very interesting uh, watching him take this stance um, because Nick Cannon is kind of considered. Come on, and you know, like in the black community, come on, black folks, admit it. Nick Cannon is kind of considered like the nice guy. You know, like there are certain entertainers or certain people that we think of when we're talking about, oh, somebody's about to raise a ruckus. There's certain people, you know, like if it's going to be some drama, like, was it 50 Cent? Did he start something on Instagram? It's like, so we do have certain entertainers that, you know, are always in the thick of things. So when Nick Cannon has a problem with something, it does make you kind of stop and, and pay attention. Like, wait, what's happening here? Nick Cannon, he's so nice. And it's like, so it was interesting to see him completely step out like this and he kind of was at a point where he's like I'm just done with Viacom like I'm not even interested in trying to repair riffs but what I did think was interesting is that he did kind of um he took to heart the the criticism that he got about the comments and he was willing to actually um kind of try to repair that damage within the Jewish community so he actually um, I believe it was like Thursday or Friday he sat down with a rabbi or he uh had a phone conversation with a rabbi um yes cuz we're locked in the damn house so uh he had a, a phone conversation with a rabbi in New York um and to hear the the rabbi 
um, talk about it. It seems that he felt that it was a very fruitful conversation. And one thing that uh, stuck out to him about Nick Cannon, and I think it's something that we all know about Nick Cannon if we've watched him for long, but he did say that Nick Cannon came and appeared not only contrite and apologetic for the statements that he had made, but I think that what struck the rabbi and um, upset that he had caused, but he said that Nick wanted to know more, like he wanted to understand this history, you know, and, and where this 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 rift comes and this disconnect in believing that one group's suffering is heavier or more important or has more weight than another group's suffering. And so, you know, and I guess trying to answer those questions the best that he could as a rabbi, but he was also very struck with the fact that Nick was at a point where he was like, he said he was appreciative of the apology. And Nick kind of took it past that and said, okay, so what do we do next? How do we come together? How do we move forward? How do we move forward in a way that shows respect, understanding, and empathy for the the struggles of all groups and the struggles for all communities and the the beginning to lift up and to uh to make equal the uh, the suffering of all groups and so i thought that that was very interesting and i myself very proud of nick cannon um in my house nick oh little nick like he is like in my mind he's like one of my kids young so i really really like the stance that he took um it's all he voiced a lot of the things that i have wondered myself i've always i've always been a, a history buff i've always loved reading about history and if you've uh listened to the origin uh video on the website when i talk about like what the purpose of straight from the hip is and what the origin story is. Um, part of that I mentioned about uh, Anne Frank and how since as since a child, like reading that book the first time, I think I actually read it before my class did. So I read it probably eight or nine years old. And it always struck me that how people were able to survive. I think it hit me the hardest when I realized that Anne herself did not actually survive. So when I talk about the bounce back and the, the resilience and the perseverance required to literally move through the world and create success under your own terms, the, the two stories that I used to shore that, that cement that, that drive that point home are the, the story just of African-Americans just in this country. Not, not even about the, the glory, the, the intelligence, the, the way that they were teaching other, uh, communities and cultures, uh, before they were brought to America as slaves. But I look at the slave, uh, through in the American and, and the, through the Caribbean, and I look at the Jewish Holocaust, and I look at that, the, the caliber of people who were able to survive events like that. And it's like, and I don't, and it's not group, but it's very definitely something from the inside out is what I call, as my mom calls gumption, uh, what we call the get up and go. And it's like, and, and I see that in both communities. So it's always been a mystery to me how one community suffering could be considered worse than another. And I myself have also questioned about how a group who insists that the whole world sees them as they went through such a suffering uh, with the Holocaust, who could turn around and create suffering 
for another group of people. Like, I never understood that. I've always been a history buff, but I never understood just colonization. How does one country come in and decide, hey, this looks like some good land here, got some good fruit, looks like we can do some good stuff here. We think we'll take it now. And then they just become the boss of the country. Like, I've never understood that. And nobody can actually explain it. So, and I thought that it was very interesting that this came out, you know, at this time. And then again, so just kind of as a tail end to that, uh, Charlemagne the God uh, made a comment, I believe it was yesterday, and he also was being asked to apologize. And I think that in this particular case, it's always surreal to me that the meanest people have the thinnest skins and get so upset about when people say things that are facts. Now, and if you have an opinion, that's one thing, and you can just give the, I always give the disclaimer, this is my opinion. It's like, yeah, nobody thinks an opinion is valuable except for the person giving it. So it's like, yeah, so you can give your opinion, and even your opinions, I don't think, should be, like, lambasted, because a lot of times your opinions are based simply on what you already know. So really to uh, to form any other type of new idea or perspective on that issue, you would have to learn more about it or learn it from different sources or get different perspectives. So, but Charlemagne the God, so he quote, he, he said this quote, and I'm just going to read the quote very quickly. And, um, you know, you guys know my opinion on facts. But so he said, quote, listen, Nick is my guy. And I hate it had to be him, but that's what you can do when you have the power. And if there's one thing Jewish people have showed us, it's they have the power. And so Charlemagne, end quote, so Charlemagne said that during his Wednesday broadcast of the radio show, The Breakfast Club. And so he ended it by saying, quote, I can't wait until the day black people are able to fire people for saying things about us that we deem racist. We can barely get cops fired for actually killing us, end quote. So in this particular instance, um, now he's put his opinion out there, but there was nothing but facts in that opinion. It's like because, like I said, I live here in Colorado and we had one of our police departments here very staunchly say they don't give a damn about Black Lives Matters, but they will protect the lives of their officers. And they the, can't wait or whatever uh, the, the policies that they're asking for police re reform. We have one uh, department here who's just like, I don't give a damn about any of that. None of that matters. The only lives that matter are these blue lives right here. So it's like, yeah, so there, I don't see anything that, that, uh, Charlemagne, and I'm, I will give the disclaimer here. I'm not a Charlemagne fan. I'm not a Charlemagne the God fan, um, in any way, but, um, I do think that in this particular instance, he literally just put fact out there and he said it in a wistful kind of way of a group who do no matter how much suffering that uh, they've gone through, no matter how much power they hold in socially or culturally, that they're not a they're still not able to protect their own lives. When they're still not able to get the respect from others that their lives should be protected. It's like so, and I think that that just kind of, Charlemagne the God just kind of put out there what we've all been seeing happening over the past month and a half. So again, he has been asked to apologize. I don't know, um, you know, if he's done that or how that will work, but I do think that it's getting, um, it's kind of scary when we get to a point in society where we're not allowed to say anything.
that doesn't toe with what everybody has already agreed with. It's like, I don't really see a lot of freedom in that. But at the same time, we're also seeing um, in very um, subtle and not so subtle ways where our, our freedoms are being drastically eroded and, and very obviously and very in our face. Like, what are you going to do about it? So I don't know. But it's interesting to see and I'll be following this story. And um, I'll, I'll, if there's some updates or if anything else happens, you know, I'll pop back in and uh, talk. But I just wanted to uh, touch on that very briefly because I thought that that was very interesting that uh, Charlemagne the God was asked to... Um, to apologize in any way when I'm sure he's not the only person that has commented on this story and his comments actually came later in the week after Nick Cannon had already apologized uh, to the rabbi. So we'll, we'll keep you updated if we hear anything else, but just an interesting aside. Broadcasting worldwide, online, 24-7. So the citywide closures of public libraries have really posed a problem for people who depend on them for internet and computer access. So um, when I found this story, it was something that I really wanted to share just because it is kind of a feel-good and it's highlighting some of the things that um, people are kind of going above and beyond during all of this lockdown and this virus and everything. And just it just this was a feel-good story that really showed how people were trying to pull together. So I wanted to just kind of give a woo-woo to the Denver Public Library System here in Colorado. Um, which has been a lifelong friend of mine since I was a child. But on Tuesday, um, the Denver Public Library, and, and I don't know how it is in other cities, but I do know that here in Denver, um, the homeless community, the, the public library system has always been incredibly imp important to the homeless, or as Denver refers to, the unhoused um, community here in Colorado. It's a place for people experiencing um, homelessness where they can check their email, they can apply for jobs, medical care. If you're searching for housing, other resources, just about everything is done digitally, done online. Um, you have to use the internet. So the public library has been a place. I know last year, and I wasn't necessarily homeless, but I was kind of like from place to place. I had my computer and my laptop and everything, but didn't always have internet access. So the public library was uh, definitely a lifeline. But so when the library shut down this spring and that was one of the things of uh, our library everything here shut down pretty early like uh end of march early april so it really shut down th those resources all of those resources were just gone for the people who needed them the most so it's been and and, a, and so i don't think people realize when they say well the homeless people they're just hanging out in the library but really one of the things that in talking to people just over the past couple of months um, even with getting the stimulus checks, people who need them the most, uh, homeless people who may have just fallen on their hard times over the past year or in the past couple of months, but people who needed those checks the most, they did not have the access, um, the internet access to actually be able to go online to the irs.gov site to put in their information to or, or change an address or put in um, an address of a shelter, most of which were closed during these past couple of months. So they didn't have a way to even um, receive their stimulus checks. 
And I think that that's one of the things they weren't able to file for unemployment when everything shut down. So those are some of the very, um, very like important things that people are very like people don't really realize unless you've actually experienced it. Those are little small things that can catch somebody up and keep them stuck and keep them homeless because you don't have access to just the basics. So I'm really excited uh, to read about the Denver Public Library and uh, starting on this past Tuesday. They launched a laptop rental service, and this was from a stand outside of the central location, which is actually located downtown, and uh, patrons were allowed to um, actually line up, so it's from Tuesdays through Friday from 12 noon until 3 p.m. Patrons can actually line up. They can check out computer workstations for 30 minutes at a time. And they do not need to have a library card uh, to do that. So I just thought that that was just incredible that they were really stepping up like that. And really, like, not just, but putting their own health at risk. Because like I said, here in Denver, a lot of things are still closed, including the libraries. So it was a, it was really great to see that they're doing that. And uh, according to Olivia Gallegos, who is the Denver Public Library's communications manager, uh, she said, quote, we're always looking for ways to bridge the digital divide. So we're really excited that we can provide this tool in a safe and responsible manner for people who really need it right now. And I think that's the key right there. It's like they really thought, like, how can we serve this part of the population that literally nobody is, is, is helping right now? So I just thought it was really in, in, incredible. Like I said, for it to be, if you're an, a member of the unhoused community, then the library and the Internet access is a lifeline. So kudos to DPL. They also will be rolling it out to uh, four other uh, branch locations. And so they really, because they've already been doing some things throughout the city. They've been showing up in the places where um, they have, uh, where they've been giving out like the free meals. The public library, the vans have actually been showing up um, the bookmobiles and actually giving out like bundles of uh, reading material for free to families. And the bundles are based on like the ages of the children children in the family and the different types of books. But it's just been a really great way to uh, really help those who need it the most. And to also, because everyone has all of this free time and everyone's in such close quarters together, to be able to have an activity that you really can do with your children or with people that are around you and that um, is, is, is positive and it's life affirming. So kudos again to the Denver Public Library System and in the ways that they are still trying to meet the needs of the community even during the crisis. So shout out to DPL. Woo woo. And I am so excited. I've got a special treat for you today. You know, I don't do it much. I don't have a lot of guests on the show. And when I do, I try and bring um, people in that I feel that can really contribute. Um, on, on different levels to the uh, to your entrepreneur journey to your confidence and your motivation and I love to do segments so today's segment I'm actually I actually have a guest um, his name is Keith Muhammad and he runs the best he's the founder of the best fruit store which is in Atlanta Georgia and Keith is someone who I consider not only a mentor, someone who um, I work with and when I was at the very beginning of my uh, career in the entertainment industry, um, he had a TV show that I was very fortunate to be a part of and um, also where I learned how to work camera too. So I am so excited to bring today because you know I'm always talking about, if you've ever tuned into any of my social media, 
You know, I'm always talking about snacking. Yes, because snacking is important to me. I love it. I've never had to worry about diet or anything. I'm five, nine and a half, 125 pounds on a heavy day. So I've never really had to worry about like what I eat or, or what types of foods I need to eat. So it was really when I spoke with uh, Keith and we discussed the notion of food deserts. Something that really surprised me, uh, being raised in the United States, growing up here all my entire life, and not ever really thinking, having the convenience of a grocery store, so not ever really thinking about um, just uh, about it at all. And so Keith really opened my eyes in this interview um, to the fact that the USDA uh, now classifies more than 6% of the U.S. population as being uh, food insecure or not having access to uh, nutrition, uh, uh, nutritious uh, and delicious food. Um, it, it just, it blew my mind even during this interview to think that um, where it's normal for me, I, I, even the series of videos that I've been doing on my YouTube, just showing ways that you could make, like I've been making cookies, but ways that you can cook with just the stuff that's in your uh, cabinets here during the lockdown. So it was very sobering to me to speak with Keith about the fact that there are so many households across this country and not just in urban areas that we hear a lot about that but also in rural areas as well who do not have access to fresh food to fresh vegetables to fresh uh, fruits to um, to fresh cuts of meat so it was very eye-opening very sober and we did we um, it wasn't all serious. It was uh, incredible to take a walk down memory lane to just look at how much has changed in the uh, 20 years since uh, Keith and I were both on our entrepreneur journey together. And he does kind of give some insight. And I think that um, he also summed up very definitely the true key to feeling good about yourself and being confident in your goals as you're uh, on the entrepreneur journey and as you're uh, moving and, and accepting this entrepreneur life. So I'm so excited and so honored to present this interview with, again, like someone I said, uh, someone that I consider not only a mentor, but also a friend. And that is the founder of the best fruit store in the Atlanta, Georgia, Keith Muhammad. And if you tune into the end of the interview, um, he's also going to tell you um, not only about the incredible things that he's doing in Atlanta to kind of water the food deserts there, but in a way that how you also can get involved and how you can um, take advantage of something, an offer that he he is providing to people locally and they are expanding this nationally, but it really blew my mind. It didn't surprise me, but it blew my mind just how deep the level of caring and the deep the level of empathy is in this man and in his willingness to, um, to water the food deserts in Atlanta. So again, thank you so much for joining in and uh, tune in as I introduce and uh, speak with Keith Muhammad. Thank you. Welcome. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So tell me just a little bit, because like I said, I didn't know a whole lot about the food desert. To me, um, growing up in the city, is not even something that I really thought about. We you do see the prevalence of fast food restaurants, but what does, as far as a food desert, how is it possible that there are food deserts right in the middle of a city? and in urban communities? Well, 
that's a deep question in the sense of um, it, it has different so many different layers to the reason why this is happening um, you know socioeconomic issues you know those things play a key role you know we're talking about um, for instance there used to be a point where this, I'm just going to take the city that I'm in Atlanta uh, in the city of Atlanta they used to have more grocery stores and in um, in urban neighborhoods um, but a lot of them started closing down and their reasoning was that in what in the effect that it had on removing these grocery stores from our communities on the levels that they did uh, Publix was one of them Piggly Wiggly was another Wayfield was one uh, Food Depot Kroger's uh, is another one uh, these are stores these are major grocery store chains that are closing in the urban community, which is leaving us with this huge food desert, basically. And, so when you say that they're leaving like that, like, so what is it being replaced? There's nothing, there's, there's not being replaced with anything. Now, one thing I can say is that you can, you can see a replacement, but it's not being replaced with grocery store. <clears throat> the replacement has been fast food. You see more fast food industries, uh, more fast food businesses popping up ranging from uh, from your Popeyes, Burger King, McDonald's, Taco Bell, uh, Bojangles. You know, you're seeing more of these fast food areas that's more available to us in, in, in lieu of these, in lieu of grocery stores. Uh, so what that has caused is, is a health uh, epidemic. And the problem is that we're eating all these all this processed food, but we have no fresh fruits or vegetables to uh, to go to if we decide if we decide that we don't want fast food for today. But you know, but then they also they also have uh, dollar stores. You see more dollar stores popping up. Um, their aim is to replace your local be your new convenience store, be your new mom and pops uh, store. That's that's their aim. The the old, yeah. So you see more of these dollar stores popping up in, in food deserts also. It's not addressing the issue because the issue here is we're talking about fresh produce, fruits and vegetables, and fresh meat. You know, so it's not addressing the issue at all. As a matter of fact, it continues to handicap us, handicap us because now we are spending all of our money on more processed food and it's, it's further causing a health decline. So, so Give an example of for like people who don't or still can't actually picture. Give an example of the difference between if you're going to a grocery store to buy tonight's meal, or if you're shopping at this Dollar Tree or at a convenience store. If that's the only thing in your neighborhood to buy tonight's dinner. Like what is um, a good example would be like say if you wanted to let's say if you wanted to have you want to prepare a meal with lamb chops and you wanted some fresh asparagus to go with it and some and and make a nice salad and such you can't do that if you go to dollar tree or a dollar general you can't go and pick up those type of ingredients you know those are the type of ingredients that you have to go to a grocery store for you know if you want to get different types of meats uh different cuts of meats uh different types of vegetables and uh and 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 not just vegetables, even your dry goods too. You know, you don't have access to all of the different types of dry goods. So you're limited in your meal prep that you have when you're dealing with just Dollar, uh, dollar Tree or any dollar store in particular. 
and limits you in your meal prep. What is the nutrition content of like canned or processed food, especially if that's on a daily basis? What are like some of the results of that? Well, um, the results will be oh, uh, high blood pressure. Uh, the results will be uh, more diabetes. No, we're not more diabetes, but it will it will it will affect your diabetes. And exactly, if you're yeah. diabetic, it will it will affect it. Uh, it will raise your sugar level, things of that nature. Um, another issue would be uh, heart disease. You know, it, it contributes to that. You know, it makes that more difficult um, because you know having the right food in place. You know, you you too much processed food. You know, is is just not good for us at all. Especially like with younger kids, that affects their uh, mental abilities as well. It does, definitely. Even emotion. Let's take uh, some of the diet. Um, let's take some of the diet that's in a lot of the processed food. You know, your, your red, your number red dyes, your red, your red dyes, and yellow dyes. All of those things have been known to have an adverse effect on, on children, as far as their emotion, and, you know, throwing off the emotions and really uh, messing with those things. It's actually interesting. My son, when he was younger, uh, my youngest son, always very energetic, constantly moving. And we had a teacher that actually tried to um, give him like a Ritalin or something. She was trying to actually administer it to him from the classroom. And we found out that it was like a whole big thing. But what we found was literally like going through and everything we were shopping and eliminating that red uh, dye and that yellow dye. And it completely So that way we can start getting the fresh fruits and vegetables to the people. Yeah. 
I have seen where there's been some small, like, kind of grassroots movements. Um, I think I've seen in Chicago. They've been trying to do more with, like, the community gardens. But even that, like, during COVID, they're kind of encouraging people to not go to the community garden. And they are encouraging, like, the social distancing. But if that's one of your only ways to get food and to get nourishing food during a situation like this, that right now looks like it's kind of indefinite. We don't know where it's going. And it's like, so how do we look at even um, moving forward? Um, they're saying the USDA says like 6% of the population right now was already experiencing uh, undernourishment due to food deserts. So what are we looking at even like over the next year? Well, I think a few things will, well, I know one of the things I can speak on as far as what my company is doing to address it, and that is, is that we have developed a, uh, a new product where we're offering um, produce boxes, you know, be it this fresh fruits or vegetables or a or uh, all of one or a combination of two, uh, and it's delivered directly to your home. So you know, and it's it's within affordable uh, cost, and it'll save you, it saves anywhere between twenty five and thirty percent on uh, on your on your annual or not annual on your on your grocery bill for produce and things of that nature. So that's one of the things that we're doing is, is addressing that. Uh, that issue. Um, another thing I will say is that you know let's look at um, let's look at the the majority of people who have who are on um, uh, who are on EBT or food stamps. Um, it needs to be a more easier way for uh, people who are receiving those benefits to be able to use those benefits uh, to be able to do online purchasing. You know, you get what I'm saying? To be able to that's make one of the things that we're experiencing right now. That's we outside the box. Market, we, we want to be able to deliver online to staff agents. Because here in Colorado, we were actually locked down since March. So that was like three months. Where if you're already stranded and can't get to anything because a 7-Eleven or a convenience store, you're already, like there's experiencing some uh, levels of malnutrition there. And so they were really pushing and they're trying to look at ways that they can do that, but that's the resistance that they're coming up against. It's because they right. can't get these now online like that for person. Right. To see and, and see with, with everything uh, with the world change well not just the world, let's just talk about our country. It's changing dramatically with uh, especially with online online sales and, and doing business online with uh, online deliveries and more people are looking for that option to be able to purchase their, their food but what do you do with the people like I say who are receiving these benefits they can't go online and purchase yeah, this or Walmart or Kroger's or these typical places that these places that they will uh, go if they went physically they will they will be able to get the product and so now that exposes them that exposes you now you have a whole number another level of exposure of uh, people who are not able who have to be exposed to be able to go out and get something to eat. And then on top of the fact, it's a food desert. So now you're looking at a lot of issues, you know, that they, that the consumers will have to face. And so I would say that it stop, starts with the USDA too. They have to change their policy on, on how they go about uh, processing EBT cards and, and allowing more flexibility for the, uh, the for them to for the EBT owners to uh, card owners to be able to purchase product because it's scary to think that you would have to potentially put your life at risk just mm -hmm. to go out to get food that isn't going to completely nourish you 
And so and to think that there is a huge swath of this population that is experiencing that, and that was experiencing that before this lockdown. So if we're looking at more months of this, it's like there are people who are literally being cut off from right. being able to stay healthy throughout this. And that's one of the things that right now, like we don't know everything about this virus, but we do know that one of the most important things that we can do is maintain our health, to keep ourselves at optimal levels of health. And it's like, and so we have like a, like a growing level of the population that's being cut off of that. So you mentioned just a little bit for Patone, I just want you to go a little, tell a little bit more about your business, why you started this particular um, thing, and just tell me a little I want you to get to, Crash, market crash, 
I just call it the Corona <laughs> The COVID crash. <laughs> I know. You know, um, so especially now going through that, you know, now is the time, and I and I really do speak in terms of uh, as far as like, you know, black people in in particular. You know, we have to we have to save ourselves, and we have to create jobs and opportunity for ourselves. You know, we have the the, the resources, the knowledge in our community to be able to do that. And so, sustainable living, like on all levels. On all levels. All of us. We have all the resources to be able to do it. All of us. And so, uh, being that I understand that and I practice what I preach, that was one of the things that I decided to do was say, okay, well, how can I turn this company that I started with selling fruit bowls into something that can be more viable for the community and help out and, and help uplift the community? And so, um, after years of developing the brand, the best fruit. I went through about uh, six or seven years of developing that brand. Sold roughly about close to 300,000 fruit bowls, you know, in that process. And uh, and this was all throughout Metro Atlanta. And it was, you know, it, it was- So explain just a little bit of that, because I'm blown away by this. Because it's like, explain just the concept of the way that you were doing this. Like, when I say grassroots, like, I mean that. Like, yeah, so- well, it was very grassroots. That how you were acting- Oh, like, it was very grassroots. I had, I had a sales team that went store to store. Um, I still go store to store to this day, you know, promoting the product and the brand. Um, so I had a sales team that went store to store. I had uh, created uh, what is called portable storefronts, which are branded canopy tents uh, that allowed us to be able to set up at gas stations and, and different parking lots to be able to sell our products directly to the people. Um, you know, so we had, I mean, it was very grassroots in, this, in, in the efforts. That is awesome. That is awesome. As a matter of fact, I didn't even use any internet sales to, to get those numbers. No internet sales. That's what I was getting at right there. It's like just the fact that this was like completely grassroots. Yeah, like no one Like pounding the pavement. And see, and that's what I'm always talking about. Like, you know, where you talk primarily to entrepreneurs, a lot of times to entrepreneurs, but people that are like literally creating the future of the work, like one job at a time. And it's like, and one company at a time. It's like, and this is what I'm talking about. Like, it is a difference to that. It's like, well, I'm not just idea. It's another to literally get out there and like step by step hit the pavement. Like when you told me that you were going to like barber shop. So it's like you're literally hitting people where they might be out and about, but it's not even something that's at the forefront of their mind. But if you put it right in my face, like I'm gonna buy too. It's like you know, so right. it's like yeah, just the fact that yeah. Right. Cause see then that that's uh that's one I guess that's one of the areas that we really uh are strong at is that we have a product that's that's, that's an impulsive buy. You know? yeah. So and right, a lot of, right. yeah. it's an impulsive buy. Yeah, so a lot of people buy, you know, two, three, four, five phones at a time. I've had people buy ten at a time. I've had them buy a lot at a time. Plenty at a time. <laughs> So now when you say that you're branching out now, and so you're doing it, because that's one of the things. I'm like, my sister, she's in upstate New York, but like I said, we've been locked down for close to three months. So that became almost a luxury to be able to get a hold of her. Like it was really hard, because that's one of the things that um, we, was maybe an unexpected part of this depression, 
is that the uh, global supply chain has really been affected by this whole virus and outbreak and everything. So it just, I'm, it was a, it was considered a luxury to be able to order fruit and have it fresh and come right to my front door. So just talk a little bit more about like how you're expanding out now and just a little bit about what you're trying to offer. Going back to what about the impulsive buy, that was that's one of our products, which is more of an impulsive buy. Now we have a new product, as I said, dealing with the fruit box, which is a um, which you're dealing with more of a planned type of situation. You know, this is something that you know you have to actually go out, and, you, know, you go online, and you uh, it's an online uh, initiative of ours where you subscribe, pay fifteen dollars, gets you a six month subscription. And it allows you to have access to our platform to where you will be able to get farmers market fresh produce. I think if they're doing this on their own, like they can definitely, you are definitely an option if they wanted to order. Like just so the when you said the fifteen dollars, that's for a six month like a subscription. That's right. They can go on it. And that's like you know, it's not fifteen dollars every month. It's just fifteen dollars one time. Okay, all right, so I'm going to make So every six months, you'll pay $15 every six months. And then, so now, are you guys delivering now? Is that just locally there in Atlanta, or are people... Well, at this point, right now, it is locally uh, in Atlanta. Uh, we are uh, developing on an international level, so our, our new platform is being developed right now um, to be able to accommodate a, a national delivery system. Yeah, because I definitely think that that's something that it looks like we're going to be more and more in the house than we had planned on this fall. Yeah, they just put Atlanta back on lockdown. So, yeah. I mean, if you're not an essential worker, you pretty much, you know, you're on lockdown. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, they were uh, talking about Florida, how many, what, 1,500 cases or something today. So it does look like we're going to be in for a while. So it's like, yeah, to be able to have access Gym membership at Crunch Fitness. Okay, 
that's what I'm going to say because a lot of times we've talked just a little bit about that, but it really can make a difference in just overall health, your, inner, your energy level. It's like everything. So just, um, and do you have any tips as far as like um, just overall health with people that are stuck in the house? It's like um, just even <laughs> because I know there is a tendency to get sedentary. Like I'm finding myself when I've been working from home for years, but I have found myself a little so what are some ways that you can recommend just for people to kind of keep the brain? Well, one of, one of the things I recommend is make sure that you, even if you just, if you get out the house, walk around the block. Even if it's just to walk around the block. You know, get out the house, get some sun. You know, that, that sun is, is excellent for our mind. <laughs> um, and I'm quite sure a lot of us get cabin fever being in the house for days in or days on end. Yeah, I think people were going crazy here. It was like, yeah. it was so definitely, that's that's one of the first things. I, uh, that's one of the main things I recommend. And, and uh, you know, you have you definitely want to be mindful of how much you consume during this time. You know, not only just about what you consume, but how much you consume. You know, that's so that that's definitely going to make a difference because if you're sitting around the house and consuming a lot, of course, that's going to lead to you gaining extra COVID pounds that <laughs> you may not want it, you may not have started with, <laughs> but some people might have needed it, so, you know, they might be happy about gaining them extra COVID, COVID pounds, you know. Well, so, I was going to yeah, say, you know, I always take the extra five, it's like, come on, come on, COVID. You know, some people, I, I was okay, I, I didn't mind catching the extra five, the extra five pounds. That was my thing, you know, living down there in Georgia, I was not sick, so... <laughs> It's like I'm always taking the extra. Because that's one of the things I was going to say, you know, one of my favorites. Well, I, believe that's, I believe that's more of your, your body type. Right? I've never known you to be heavy set or anything like Ever. that. Ever. It's like, yeah. oh, and <laughs> slim gym, what they were calling me, like, yeah, it's like the battle of the thing. And it was, I can say that Atlanta was one of the places that I went. And like, growing up here in Colorado, we have plenty of restaurants. Um, there is generally a tend towards more healthy, more active outdoor lifestyles simply because of our environment because of the weather. But I did find in Atlanta was one of the few places where I was actually able to find really good, like, and really healthy and very tasty vegetarian, like, uh, so vegetarian. Um, I was asking about that the other day, like, why do you still there? Do they deliver? <laughs> so that's one of the things, and I think that um, to even be able to have that level of knowledge or to see anything like that ever. So I'm always have been impressed with that. Oh, well, one more thing I want to add to that, you know, is definitely eat more fruits and vegetables. You know, sitting, being inside, you want to try to stay away from as much of that uh, process as possible. That's how we know each other from the entertainment. But just give us a quick, just over general background, just kind of, because we've talked here, we're always talking about the ups, downs, and in-betweens of, like, the entrepreneurial life. Um, you see a lot of the podcasts, they talk like we're talking people that been successful, but we talk a lot about it's not just an overnight success kind of thing. And it's like a lot of times we start off on like one kind of path and there'll be something completely unexpected that lands us like in our best life ever. So just give just a little bit, just kind of your background. And you touched on it a little bit like in the beginning, but what do you see is, I guess, what do you feel like you learned the most out of that whole entire journey? And kind of what do you 
to be able to introduce hundreds of new talent. Hundreds of new talent. New smooth spot and opportunity to be able to give them a platform. You know, to be able to do to perform and where they otherwise they wouldn't have had a, a big enough or large enough noticeable platform. Um, and what made it noticeable is that we brought in record labels. We brought in different record execs. You know, we brought in the Sony, we brought in the Wheels, uh, you know, we brought in the, the BMIs, you know, and the different in the different writers associations, you know, the ASCAPs, we brought in these different entities. Um, even even combine that with radio at the time when Hot 97 was, was out there, you know, we brought them in. Um, 95 by the B at the time when that was called 95 by the B. We brought them in. You know, so it was so it was a platform that ordinarily a lot of independent artists would not have necessarily gained. So uh, I would like to say that yeah, we contribute. You know, my company and, and, and my team at the time we contributed a lot to the success of, of uh, to the Atlanta music scene uh, from our TV show Elements. So we've had over 200 guests on that show.
person. Sometimes you have to put yourself like in time out, or sometimes you have to fire yourself. And then it's like you got to retrain yourself. But it's like, but that's the thing. It's like we can talk about the balance of that. And it's like that you never give up that perseverance that fuels you. And no matter what else is going on, you know that you're going to get through it because it is your Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, people want instinct. A lot of people, you know, want stars. Instantly making them pop stars, instantly making them chefs, instantly making them, you know, whatever it is that this reality TV series gave them the prize. Well, I want to put in 10 years. Yep, that's it. But that's not the reality. The reality is that most people are not going to have instantaneous success. The reality is that most people are going to have to work harder, work smarter. They're going to have to be patient, going to have to put in two years, four years, ten years. You know, that's the reality of it. You know, because everybody's everybody's path and their walk of life is different. So I can't expect, you shouldn't expect, no one should expect instant success. Just shouldn't happen. It's not. It's not. It's not realistic. And a lot of times, that instant success, you're not necessarily learning what you need to do to, to be able to go to the next level or to even on that first you know, success. Right. Right. And you're right. There's a lot of lessons that come in between in, in the 18 years that I. There's a lot of lessons. I have 18 years of lessons and knowledge and and resources that I've gained, you know, to where, you know, that's something that is, that's priceless. You can't, you know, that, the 18 years of knowledge and, and resources and success that I've gained, you can't get that in one year. You can't get that in two years. It's just not gonna happen. That's true, that's why, yeah, it, it, it does, it requires enough time and effort put in to even understand the subtleties and nuances of what it is that you're trying to expanding 
his operations. We, I see us opening up different branches of uh, different locations throughout the country over the next five years. We are, we are able to better service the areas and, and with, uh, with our delivery and, and, and the movement of our purpose boxes. Um, this is from the help of you and, and, and others getting the word out is what's really going to be needed at this point. You know, we need to get the word out uh, to the people to let, let the people know that, hey, we have another option and and it's black owned and operated. Let's support black businesses. I am a proponent. I am a advocate of supporting black businesses. Um, and, and I urge that and emphasize that now more than ever, if we want to sustain ourselves and survive, especially over the next 10, 20 years, we must support our own businesses and we must create more businesses and new businesses that meet our needs. Do you see that as being more of a grassroots? Do you see that as more um, community moving more towards that grassroots kind of level? Because we do hear a lot, like I said, I'm out here in Colorado, so uh, people are very much into like more of the communal living, the community, uh, sustainable community, um, gardening, that sort of thing. Do you see society moving more towards that um, over the next 20, 30 years, especially with kind of the big shift that we're seeing now, even with this just the COVID, but do you see us moving towards a more communal type of society? That's a that's an interesting question. As far as communal, as far as developing food growth is concerned. Yeah. Um. Because I'm seeing more and more where it's like smaller communities. They're literally working together to create their own. Like I said, the community gardens. But we're seeing places here, like I said, they're kind of arguing right now with the FDA. They want to be able to deliver um, and be able to like do the SNAP or SNAP recipients. But so do you see people kind of more society uh, taking it more into their own hands and not necessarily being so dependent on our um, what we've usually been dependent on to make sure that we can be sustainable? Yeah, I, I see us moving in that direction. There's no doubt about that. We, I don't think we have a choice at you know, it's either either we do that or, or we suffer the consequences. You know, so I, I definitely see us doing that. Um, there are some changes as as some major changes going to take place over the next twelve months, um, especially when it's going into our election year. You know, going into that election month, there's going to be some major changes that take place. Um, and in those changes, I definitely see uh, more. Uh, community coming together, more the community coming together as far as uh, making sure that whatever changes that do take place is something that we all agree on, that we really want and need. <laughs> so I do see that happening. Um, as far as um, food options is concerned, I believe that that's going to take place when we when we change our diet, our eat our habits. I believe that's, that's going to be that's the next thing, you know, it's changes. It's more of a ha habit, you know. Change. And it is habits and patterns, that's true, because I am a meat eater. And it's like, yeah, I have resisted. I'm like the recipient of the rest of my family. It's all the vegetables, the fruit and vegetable train, so. Yeah. But see, you know, when people get accustomed to just walking up the street around the corner to a dollar store to get what they want, they may not necessarily take the time to go get on the internet go through the app, place the order, have to wait, 
the next day or so for that for their order. You get what I'm saying? So a lot of it's going to be about changing the habits, the buyer habits, and, and, and getting getting them to think outside that box. So a lot of habits that and, thing. And, and, and not even in like a, the upstanding world, right? But really in really honestly and ethically, like what does it take in a, such a wealthy country to make sure that everyone eats? The fact that we even have six of our population that is food insecure in a country that is like so wealthy so it really is going to take a shift in our mindset yes it has to take a shift in the mindset it's just in our mindset to really make it a necessity that everyone even just have the basics like literally I believe I firmly believe in charity and giving back you know, I think in a situation like this, this was, this would have been the best time for us to set aside capitalistic ways to be able to give back and to help everybody to get, you know, keep everything safe. Be able to give trillions of dollars to wars and all these different country, other countries. We're able to finance other countries ranging. You can you can name it. There are so many countries that that America finances to this day. We should have no issues doing this for ourselves. There shouldn't even be any arguments. There shouldn't even be any debates, nothing. We already know what needs to be done. It should just get done. So that brings me to uh, my two wrap-up questions there, and I'm glad I know your time is very valuable. But, um, you know, that we have our Than, than Donald Trump as far as I'm concerned 
but it still shows that he's lacking experience. And what we've come, what we should have come to learn from Donald Trump is that it's better to have someone in there who has experience. <laughs> it's better to have someone there who has some type of experience and, and, and yeah, you know, at least on that level. Then you go, we go into the different, you know, aspects of policy changes and morality and things like that. But you know, let's at least start. Let's at least get the basic, the experience. That's what that's that's what would be that for me is the thing that says, as a person, as a citizen, would I want to take a chance with Kanye being a president, knowing that he doesn't have the experience. So that would be a, you know, but then, you know, when I look at Trump and I look at Biden, I don't really particularly care for either one of those. You know, I think that especially Trump, what he's done in this administration is for years. And then Biden, I don't think he, that he's in touch, that he's, in, that he's in touch with our community. So that's my concern too. I don't, I just don't think that he'll be able to see policy change all the way through. I don't even know if he has the physical fortitude to be able to withstand the stress and the and the and all of that that comes along with being the president. I do like that he's at least tried to tackle some of the um, what I feel like because I do feel like the last election they were kind of distracted by other like special issues and stuff. I do feel like in this particular instance, Joe was at least trying to get some points out there, like he was talking about. Um, Well, we'll keep an eye out and see how it plays out this fall. I don't 
don't know, but I think you did an excellent point about we probably don't want to go down the same road again with a candidate that's not really experienced, or at least somebody who at least took a civics class. Like, that would be awesome. If we could get someone that truly understands, like, how the government works, like, that would be incredible. So I do thank you, like, so much for your time today, and so I'm going to end with the two questions that we always ask uh, the so you said that you're there, you're in Atlanta. So what's your favorite local joint that you can recommend? Like people are popping up in Atlanta. You know, so we know travel's not going to be that great anytime soon. But if someone was able to travel or just pop in, or if they're locally there in Atlanta, what's your favorite local joint? And it doesn't have to just be a restaurant, but like what's your favorite hangout in Atlanta? Well, I like Cuban food. No, I like that kind of food. <laughs> so one of my places is Poppy's. I like Poppy's. Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a nice place. Uh, so um, that's uh, that's one of my one of my hangout spots. You know, in, in Atlanta. Okay, I think we're gonna check it out if you're in Atlanta. Okay, all right. And then so our last one is like, um, so if you could describe yourself and your mission with Desert what is one word that you would use to describe um, your entire journey up to now? What is it? Well, I go right back to this word I said earlier, perseverance. That's the one word that I use to describe perseverance. That describes me as, as an entrepreneur and, and the, uh, the church. Perseverance. And I said, uh, bounds and in between. It's like you just gotta enjoy the journey. Like you gotta love it up down and in between. That's right. So uh, I thank you so much for sharing all that delicious goodness with my uh, audience today. So like I said, we, we're always talking about the future work, the entrepreneur lifestyle. So definitely check out I keep on in the Desert Store and thank you guys. So there you have it, my pretties. Special shout out to Keith Mohammed of The Best Fruit Store. I really enjoyed the interview. I hope that you did too. And uh, thanks for tuning in. If you want to support uh, The Best Fruit Store or you want to find out more about Keith's mission, then you can find him at The Best Fruit Store. Dot com and you can also find them on Facebook and I believe it's best fruit store uh, on Facebook and if you uh, tune in or hang out with us this week on social media I will be posting links as well as clips and other resources from the uh, episode today so tune in and I just want to say thank you again for uh, listening and for riding or dying with straight from the hip with Courtney Jones and a gentle reminder I am Courtney Jones and you are awesome so until next time, go be it. I'm out of here. Peace. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. 